All right, this evening, if you get your Bible out with me, we're going to be in the Old Testament in the book of Esther. The book of Esther this evening, and I want to teach and preach on this idea, an invisible God. Amen. Uh, the God that we serve, He is spirit. Amen. Jesus said that God is spirit. And a spirit is not visible to those of us. And I assume everyone in here is living in a physical body. Uh, so therefore, spiritual things are just out of our gaze. We live in these bodies that are made of dust and we only can operate with our five senses. And if we're going to get in touch with the unseen where God is, it takes faith. Amen? And uh, we see by faith. And uh, we've never seen God. If you've seen God, just keep that to yourself. Amen? Uh, no man's seen God and uh, lived to tell about it. Amen? And, uh, but we serve an invisible God. They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? So uh, the Christian life is trusting in a God we've never seen, trusting a God we've never heard with our eardrums, Trusting a God that we've never touched, a God that we've never really tasted with our taste buds. We can taste of the Lord and see that He's good, but we've never tasted Him physically. And uh, so we're, we're serving a God that can't be identified with our five senses. We must by faith have a relationship with Him. Here's what the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. And uh, faith is believing the invisible. The Bible says in that great hall of faith, Romans, uh, Hebrews 11, that they saw the unseen, right? They saw the invisible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And uh, they saw the promises of God um, by faith, then we live by faith. If you're looking for a tangible um, something in your life uh, to prod you along, God's not going to do that. Amen? Uh, it's by faith that we please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because he that comes to God, listen, must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen? And so uh, we don't have faith in God because we've seen God. Amen? Uh, but we will see God one day because we do have faith. And faith is not a hope so. It's a no so. It's a no so faith. And there's something interesting about the book of Esther. Um, the name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. Uh, when you read any other book in the Bible, there's 66 books in the Bible. In every book, you find the name of God. Uh, in the book of Esther, uh, the name of God appears nowhere in the book of Esther. But God's power is seen everywhere in the book of Esther, and His presence is felt. You may be at a place in your life where 
it seems like God's not around. Maybe it feels like God is not working. But I promise you that God is very present in your life. And God is working in your life. And in the book of Esther, the the name of God nowhere is referred to. Um, But look, even though His name's not mentioned, He's there. We see God's hand... Um, in these events of the book of Esther and in every detail of man's life. So I want you to know this. Uh, We don't serve a God that's off in a far land, sitting back with His fingers crossed, twiddling His thumbs, not getting involved in our lives. God is involved in every... This is hard to believe. God is involved in every detail of our life. He's involved in every detail of our life. There is no detail that God is not involved in. I mean, the blooming of a flower, God's involved in it. Listen, the the movement of the wind, God is involved in it. Listen, the wings flapping on a butterfly, God is involved in it. And listen, if there is dust stirring on the planet Mars, God is involved in that too. God is involved in every detail of our life. He's involved in the good times. He's involved in the difficult times. He is involved in the joyful times. He is involved in the sorrowful times. God is involved in every detail of our lives. He either allows things to happen in our lives or He causes things to take place in our lives. And remember this, God knows the end. He declares the end from the beginning. Now think about this. Before you were ever born, before you and I ever drew one breath, God saw, listen to this, Every step that we'd ever take. He saw every stumble, every fall that we would ever make. He already knew every word that we would ever say. He already knew every decision that we would ever Make. There is nothing that you and I take part in where God says, Wow, I didn't see that coming. Wow, I had no idea they would respond that way in life. I remember some years ago, my grandmother, her name was Bertha. And uh, Bertha, just by her name, was a pretty big woman. We actually called Bertha Big Mama. That was my dad's mother. And uh, she lived a very difficult life. She traveled a very difficult road. The older I got, the more I realized all the things she had been through in life. And one thing I loved about Big Mama, she was always joyful. She was never bitter. She was never negative. And I feel bad for what we did to Big Mama one time. One day, me and my brothers, we had uh, been to the dollar store with my mother, and we asked my mother to buy us this big, long rubber snake. 
And one day, my brother Zach and I decided that we would play a little joke on Big Mama. And uh, she always sat in front of the TV and she loved watching Wheel of Fortune. She loved Wheel of Fortune. And she would turn it up real loud so you could sneak in the kitchen door and she would have no idea you were there. And one day I decided with my brother Zach, I said, why don't we slide in the kitchen while Granny's watching the Wheel of Fortune. We're going to throw that snake over her head and let it land in her lap. And, uh, you know, she was always a sweet lady. She always gave us pound cake and always gave us uh, those butter cookies and always was taking us place. She, she never was mean to us. And so I, I had no idea that I should expect what I was about to get. And so one day we slipped in and we threw that snake over her head and it landed in her lap. And uh, see, usually in that recliner, she'd have to rock three times and then get momentum and come up out of that chair. But listen, I'm telling you, when that snake hit her lap, she jumped out of that chair quicker than I'd ever seen Granny move. And look, I knew right then business was about to pick up. I knew right then we had done the wrong thing. Now listen, I'd never seen her move that quick, so I got nervous that I wasn't going to be quick enough to get out of the way. So my only goal was to outrun my brother Zach. And I could beat him. And so as soon as she jumped up, I took off running. And I just kind of pushed Zach back. Listen, she grabbed him by the back of his shirt. And I, the last thing I saw, she took her shoe off and was beating him with her shoe. And I remember I thought to myself, I've never seen Granny act that way. You know, I just didn't expect her that that way. <laughs> My dad whooped us both for doing that later you know, but God knew she was going to act that way. You know, sometimes we get surprised at how people act. God's not surprised. Sometimes we surprise ourselves by the way we act. God has never been surprised. Did you know this? When you really act in a way that you don't like, did you know that you really didn't let God down? You just thought you were better than you were. God already knew every decision we would make before we were ever born. Listen, God loves you as much as He could ever love you. And there is nothing you're ever going to do to make God stop loving you. God loved you and I so much that He sent His Son into the world. Not just His Son, His only begotten Son. That if we'll believe in Him, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sometimes along the way we think, my goodness, I've messed up now. God doesn't love me. Listen very carefully. He knew all that before He ever created you. He knew all that before Jesus ever died for you, and He loves you. I want you to see in the book of Esther, there's some things that take place that seem like they're out of God's control. They seem like they catch God by surprise from our human position. But I want you to know this. God has got everything under control. He is a sovereign, holy God, and He's ruling, and He's ruling well. We see here in the book of Esther, 
uh, there's some things that take place. I want to give them to you. I want to kind of make a comment or two about these. And here's the thing I want you to get. We have an invisible God that really is in control. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get nervous when I feel like things are out of my control. I get anxious. I get worried. But I want you to know this. You can always come back to God has everything under control. Let me give you a few things. I want you to see this as we look through the book of Esther. I want you to see, first of all, uh, God's sovereign over events. God's sovereign over the events that happen in Israel and the events of Esther's life. And I want you to know this. God has a grand plan. God has a big picture. God knows the tapestry that He's weaving together. We may only see a small part, but God has a plan that's bigger than you and a plan that is bigger than me. We see these events. Let me give you some events. I want you to see these um, just to kind of give you the story. First of all, we see the queen's refusal. Now, I want you, I'm going to kind of give you the story as we look through this, but what's happened here is there has been a celebration taking place in Persia. We see here that the king is celebrating for over a hundred days and his wife also, the queen, is in a time of celebration. And what has happened here is when the king's good and drunk with the other counselors, uh, the king has showed off all of his riches. He has given every member in the, of the party a gold vessel and each vessel is made unique and he's bragging. He's ruled over 120 plus provinces from uh, India to Ethiopia. He is ruling during this time and he's being very braggadocious about his life, about all that he has done and his uh, friends are all gathering together celebrating and uh, he decides that he wants to bring out his queen and he wants to show off her beauty to all of his drunk friends. Well, the queen, we're going to see, she refused his invitation. Now, I'm not going to tell you she was wrong and I'm not going to tell you necessarily she was right. Uh, there's a couple different ideas and mindsets, uh, but we see here that she said, I'm not going to come uh, and be embarrassed in front of you and your drunk friends. Uh, she was known for her beauty, and uh, the king just wanted to show her off. Um, some speculate they had ill intentions. Some speculate they uh, only wanted her to come in front of them with wearing nothing but her crown. And uh, she refused to come. Now I want you to see this in chapter 1 verse 10 down through verse 12. And on the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded uh, me, Human, uh, Bistha, uh, Habana, I don't, I don't, I haven't practiced all these names, Bigtha, uh, Abigatha, uh, Zethra, uh, Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of the king, listen, to bring the queen before the king with the royal crown to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen refused to come at the king's commandment, but is 
by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Now we see here that the queen said, look, I'm not coming. Well, this was a big deal. This caused an issue, right? Uh, here's the issue. Here's what all the other husbands sitting around the table said. They said, now look, king, your wife, the queen of the land, has refused your invitation. She has disobeyed your command. And uh, when all the other women hear about her disobedience and her rebellion, well, we're going to have every woman across the land rebelling against their husbands. So all these men got nervous. They got a little uptight about it. They said, look, we, we got to fix this issue. And this is what they came up with. Why don't you say there's a decree in the land that the queen, because she refused to come, she can never again enter into your presence as the king. And the king thought this was a good idea. He said, you know what? It serves her right. She shouldn't have refused me. She embarrassed me. She made me look bad. And now every, all the other women are going to take strength and they're going to rebel against uh, their homes and their husbands. So we see here that this event took place. The queen refused to come. Then we see also the king makes a very hasty decree uh, down in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, down through chapter 2, verse number 1. Um, we see here that uh, they said, No more can the queen come into the presence of the king. So that was her consequence. And so now there is a vacancy uh, in the kingdom, right? And the vacancy is that of the queen. And every king needs a queen. So now here's what's happening is the because there's a vacancy that has taken place because the king made a very hasty request, the queen decided she wasn't going to be embarrassed or dishonored by this request. She refused to do what the king asked, then the king, instead of just realizing that he made a foolish request, he banned the queen from ever coming into his presence again. And so now what is happening in the kingdom is the king said every woman in the kingdom that is a virgin needs to be brought into the castle so I can pick a new queen. And it's during this time that Esther, who is a Jew living in Persia, is taken into the being the king's harem. And so now all these virgin girls, the prettiest girls of the land, now are being forced into the castle to basically be part of a beauty pageant. They bathe them for six months. They put spices on them. They dress them nice. They give them jewelry. They doll them up. And then each of them comes before the king. And if the king is pleased with them and likes them, then the king, uh, I guess it's like the most eligible battler, bachelor maybe. I don't know. Never seen it, but heard about it. And so now the king says, you know what? I'll, I like Esther. So the king makes this decision for Esther. Now Esther is being raised by her uncle. Her parents are deceased. And now she is taken out of normal life, seemingly against her will. This wasn't her plan. She didn't wake up one day and say, well, I hope the queen rebels so maybe I can be the next queen. No, she was living her life 
And there was events taking place that would change her life forever. You know, there's events taking place in your life that have nothing to do with you that have the potential to change your life and to make you feel like your life is out of control, to make you and I feel like someone else is making decisions for us. Can you imagine being Esther? Can you imagine maybe having to one day look at marrying someone you didn't choose or someone you didn't love or being in a situation where you're forced to marry a pagan king and now it seems like because of the king's events in his life and the decision of the queen, now Esther, she seems to be a victim of circumstance. But I want you to know that even in all of these events, there is a sovereign God that is working all things together for good in Esther's life and in everyone's life. And look, never make the mistake of being, believing you're a victim of circumstance. Listen, either we have a God that's sovereign or we don't. We either have a God that is in control or we don't. You and I can't have it both ways. And we see here that even in all of this, we're going to see God is working in these events. Uh, we're going to see here also the, uh, another one of these events is there's an uncle to Esther. His name is Mordecai. And uh, we see here that something has happened in his life. Uh, that God is going to use also along with what's happening in Esther's life. In chapter 2, verse 19, down through verse 23, we're going to see here that God just happened to use Mordecai to save the king's life, which happens to be the uncle of Esther who would become the next queen. Now notice this in verse 19, And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people. She didn't tell anyone that she was a Jew. And Mordecai, as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. In those days when Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Big Than and Therese, uh, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king. And the thing was known to Mordecai who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther, Esther certified the king thereof, in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Now what's happened here is all of a sudden there's two men that want to kill the king. And God in His sovereignty allows Mordecai to get the inside scoop on it. And before they can kill the king, Mordecai, now because his niece is the queen, can put this in her ear. And she can share this with the king to save his life. So all these events are taking place. The men are getting drunk. 
The queen is called in to, to, to dishonor herself. She refuses. In the midst of all this, Esther's brought into the kingdom. In the midst of all this, Mordecai saves the king's life. Now when you read this, it just seems like events are happening. A bunch of craziness is happening. This is doing this. They're doing that. They're scheming. They're sin. There's all these things happening. But I want you to know this. Even in the midst of man's worst, God is working it together for a greater good. Uh, and so we sometimes become, listen to me, hopeless. And we sometimes become desperate because we forget that he still got the whole world in his hands. God still has the whole world in his hands. Hands. There is no need to fear, child of God. He's in control of the coronavirus. He's in control of the president. He's in control of Russia. He's in control of the Ukraine. He's in control of the economy. God is working in the midst of everything that we are unsure about for a greater good. So we see God's sovereignty even in these events. Now, I want you to see, secondly, not only do we see God's sovereignty in these events, we're going to see how God's positioning His people right where He wants them. You know, you can think of another Bible character by the name of Joseph. My goodness, think of all the evil things that happened to Joseph. And God used every one of those evil things to position Joseph right where he wanted him. And so we see this over and over in the Scripture. I want you to see not only do we see the events of Esther, I want you to see this. We also see there's an enemy. Now this is very important. God's people have always had an enemy. We need to remember that. As sovereign as God is working, there's also an enemy out there working trying to destroy God's people. There's always Satan in the garden trying to destroy God's people. We always see this uh, throughout history. Hitler tried to destroy God's people. There's always been an attack against God's people, in particular the Jews here. Um, we see this enemy in chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, let's just read about this real briefly. In chapter 3, we're going to see about a man named Haman, and he had a plot to destroy and bring genocide to all the Jews. He wanted to kill every Jewish person. He wanted to destroy all the Jews. Now listen, before God ever created Jacob, before God ever created Haman, before God ever created Esther, he saw there was a man one day that was going to have a plan to destroy all of the Jews. And so God puts things in motion 
to protect his people from the enemy. Listen, the enemy has a plan, but God's has a greater plan. The enemy has some power, but God has all power. The enemy will come against us. He will will form a weapon against us, but the Bible says that it shall not prosper against our lives. And so we see here there is an enemy. Don't forget that there's an enemy out to destroy God's people. There's an enemy today trying to destroy the church even today. We see here in verse 1, and after these things did uh, the king uh, promote Haman, um, uh, the Agatite, uh, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. So he gave Haman a, a high seat above all the princes and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate. They bowed and reverenced Haman. So every time Haman would come, everybody would bow and give him reverence. Um, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but listen to this, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did he reverence. Uh, the reason why is Mordecai, he was a Jew. And uh, they were only allowed to give reverence and worship Jehovah. So he was not bowing to Haman. And God even saw that was going to happen. Happen. So here's what happened, real briefly, before, I won't read it all. But Haman got so upset about Mordecai not bowing to him. He would get so upset, so bent out of shape because Mordecai would not bow. Um, and so what happened was uh, Haman, he set out to have all the Jews killed. Uh, look what happens in verse 4. Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn uh, to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom. So we see here that there's a plot now to kill every Jew throughout the kingdom. And remember this, the enemy, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy, right? Jesus said this, but I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So remember this, Satan, the enemy, can't kill you. Amen? Uh, he can discourage you. He can derail you. He can threaten you. He can roar against you. He can uh, intimidate you. He can use fear in your life. But listen, he cannot kill you. He can't take your soul. Uh, when you're in the family of God, but he will do his best to do that. So we see here there is a great enemy that's uh, attacking God's people. And so we're going to see here, to end this, we're going to see their escape. Uh, now here's what's going to happen. There's going to be this edict sign. He's going to go to the king. Haman's going to say, look, there's a group of people and uh, their laws contradict your laws. And their laws promote a rebellion against your laws. And I want to wipe all of them out. What do you say, king? The king said, yeah, go ahead and do it. Well, nobody knew that Esther was a Jew. She hadn't revealed this. Her uncle said, look, whatever you do, don't tell anyone that you're a Jew. Now, he just 
thought that was wise. God didn't, we don't see where God told him that. He just thought that was wise. Well, it's going to prove that God's going to use that. So what's going to happen here um, is Mordecai is going to tell Esther, hey, listen, there's a scheme from Haman to kill all the Jews. And God's put you in the kingdom, Esther, for such a time as this. In other words, you're where you are by God's divine design. Esther, if you thought you were a victim of circumstance, I want you to know God put you there. Esther, if you think that you're just second best to the queen, I want you to know God put you there. Esther, I just want you to know, if you think you're there by mistake, God has brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, if you feel like you're not important, remember this, God brought you the kingdom for such a time as this. And let me just say this to every one of us, God has brought each of us into His kingdom for such a time as this. Listen, Esther, she's like one of those spies from the movie. She's a sleeper, right? And now Mordecai is activating her. He's saying, look, you've been camouflaged. You've been in the kingdom. It's time now to reveal your colors. It's time now to go to the king and make an appeal. And here's what Esther said. Esther said, look, I can't go into the king's presence. He's not invited me. And if I go into his presence, he may take my life. Don't you remember Mordecai? What he did to the last wife that he had? My goodness, he may throw me out. And Mordecai said this, hey, listen, Esther, uh, you may try to save your life, but I want you to know this. God's going to raise up somebody else to deliver His people from the enemy. God will cause His people to escape. Let me just say this. Don't let someone else have to do your job. Oh my goodness, don't, don't tell God no. Don't miss out the reason God has brought you into this world. Don't miss the reason God has saved you. Don't make God raise up someone else to do what He's created you to do. God have mercy on us to take the risk. Have mercy upon us to walk by faith and to trust God even when it seems scary and too big. Now we're going to see here that there's this great escape that takes place. Uh, she goes into the king. He extends the scepter to her. And uh, she king says to her, what can I do for you? She says, I want to have a meal with you and Haman. They have a meal together. Uh, long story short, we'll sum this up. What happens is, is um, uh, Esther tells the king, Haman is wanting to destroy all of the Jews. And I am a Jew. Oh my goodness, this, this made the king upset, right? So the king is angry at Haman. And the king is out of the room and Haman goes to beg Esther for mercy. Well, he lays on the bed that she's laying in. So the king walks back in and says, My goodness, not only are you trying to kill my wife's people, you're trying to abuse my wife. So this makes the king even more angry. Well, someone came in and said, Hey, I want you to know, king, Haman has built gallows to hang Mordecai from. 
And remember, Mordecai saved the king's life. Well, this made the king angry. So guess what the king did? He hung Haman from that. And we see here that now God give, uh, uh, the king gives all the Jews a license to kill. He says, look, you can defend yourselves and you can fight even against those in my kingdom. So God delivers his people. So listen, in the midst of all this, look at how God positioned each person for his purpose. You know, the queen, she had no idea that what she was doing, God was going to allow Esther to get into a position. The king, he had no idea in his drunken stupor what he was doing. Mordecai just tried to save the king's life because he, he was a good man. Esther had no idea. She maybe thought that she was being taken advantage of, being, being forced into the palace. But the whole time, God had a plan. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Has anything ever happened to you where you felt like people took advantage of you or people hurt you? Have you ever been through something that you didn't deserve, you didn't ask for? My goodness. You ever been in a situation like that and you think, my goodness, I'm, I'm second, I, I'm not... Worthy, uh, I, I'm a, a second thought, I'm a third choice. I, man, I just feel like something the cat drug in. My goodness, life's just spinning out of control. And I don't feel like nothing's going according to plan. And I feel like other people are making decisions that affect my life and I don't like it. Anybody else ever been there? Yeah. I've been there. I'm there sometimes, often in my life going, my goodness, Lord, the only reason I'm here, the only reason I'm there the only, is because of this and that. And listen, God's trying to say, look, I've got a plan in everything that's happening to you and around you. And so hindsight is always 2020, right? We can look back, but it's when we're going into things that we're oftentimes short-sighted. So what's the phrase? We can't see the forest because of the trees. We're too close, you know. And, um, you know, whenever you see a forest, boy, it looks so beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, so it looks, e even when everything's dead, it's still, from a distance, it looks so picturesque, right? I mean, my goodness, it's so neat looking and just it looks so designed but you ever walked into the forest my goodness there's dead bushes and dead limbs and you realize my goodness these trees aren't perfect these limbs aren't perfect man there's so many imperfections but from a distance it looks so perfect you know that's how a lot of times our life experiences are when we're going through them we say wow this is difficult. This is very trying. This is very hard. You know, I think back, and I'll finish with this. You know, um, my dad's one of 13 children, and, um, you know, my grandmother, she was a very quiet, godly woman. You know, she wouldn't preach to you. She, I mean, but she just was a godly woman, you know. And... Um, I think about all the 
the ministry that's come out of my grandmother's family. I think about all that God's done in these last 20 years and in her children and family. And the blessing that many of my family members have been to the community I was raised in. And um, I, I'm from probably the largest family in our community. And so um, every year, um, my family, they'll, they'll cook six or seven hogs, and there'll be five, six, seven hundred people from the community come and just eat. Family's such a blessing to the community. And I think back to how they all got here. My grandmother was part of a family that couldn't take care of her during the Great Depression. So as a young girl, just before her teens, she was given to a family, to a man and to a woman, a husband and a wife. Well, that man decided that if he was going to take care of another child, that she was going to have children for him too. And so my grandmother was taken advantage of by my grandfather, who had another wife, and was made to have children alongside of his wife for all those years. Can you imagine what that must have been like for my grandmother? I mean, your parents take you and give you to a family to help take care of you, and the man is so ungodly. He abuses you and makes her have all these children and makes the wife stay in the home. I think about all that. But from where I stand, I look at my children. I look at what God has allowed me to do. And I look back at what seems to be, and it was an awful thing. But I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those events that took place in my grandmother's life. You'd have a different pastor for sure. I don't know if that makes you upset or happy. You know, I always wonder how my grandmother was always so sweet you know, I didn't find all this out till after she was gone to heaven. You know, I believe that she had reached a place in her life. She could see how God brought good out of the evil that took place in her life. I'm so glad that my grandmother didn't play the victim card. That would have created bitterness in all of her children. And that would have created bitterness in all of her grandchildren. You know, it's amazing to me that I did not discover what happened to my grandmother. I always thought it was weird how my aunts and uncles could have birthdays two and three months apart. It was always weird to me. So-and-so's 80. Oh, wow, so-and-so's 80 three months later. That's weird. Never could figure that out. <laughs> you, know, you know what's amazing about that? In a time and generation that we live in, where all we do is complain about the events of our life, everybody knows all of our business, don't they? 
But I'm so thankful my grandmother trusted the Lord in all of that evil. So much so that she never talked about it. And it never corrupted her family. We don't live in that day anymore, do we? We live in a day where the events that happen to us, we love being the victim. We love getting the attention. We love complaining and having everybody feel sorry for us and cater to us. We don't live in that generation anymore, do we? Where men and women trusted the sovereign hand of God no matter how evil it was in their lives. Esther could have been a victim. She could have said, you know what? I don't like what's happened to me. My parents died young. My uncle raised me. Now I've been forced to come in here to this king. And, and now you're, you're going to make me jeopardize my life. No, listen, God in the midst of all that had a plan. You know, no evil, I don't believe any evil deed goes unpunished. I don't believe that. I don't believe anyone gets away with any evil. And I don't believe that God is the author of evil. But listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. God can take those ashes and make something beautiful if we'll simply trust Him. He can make something beautiful out of tragedy. He can make a miracle out of a mess. God can take what somebody meant for evil and use it for good in our lives if we'll choose to trust God. If we'll choose to trust Him. Did Esther deserve to be treated the way she was treated? I don't think so. Did my grandmother deserve to be treated the way she was treated? I don't believe so. Was it wrong? Absolutely. But is God working all things together for good? I believe that He is. I believe that He is. You know, and I'll finish with this. I'm, I'm long, but let me say this. Everyone says, I trust God. Until something doesn't go our way. Then we no longer trust Him, right? Usually, here's what we mean. I trust God to work it all out like I want. But did you know that, that, that I heard this uh, in uh, the, voice of the, uh, the uh, voice of the martyrs. He said this, some people, when they face a trial, they find out they really believe God. Other people, when they face a trial, they find out they really believe they believe God. <laughs> There's a difference in really believing God and believing we believe God. Listen, God can be trusted no matter the outcome. He's a good God. Do I wish evil on anybody? Absolutely not. But He's a good God and we can trust Him.
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what we may go through in our lives. But don't let the devil ever talk us out of trusting the goodness of God. Father, as we look at this very difficult subject of trusting you when we can't really find you. We read in the book of Esther, God, there's no real, clear, thus saith the Lord. There's no clear word from God. But we can see how you orchestrate through every event for your good purposes for your people. So God... Some of us, we are blessed with a ministry like Philip. He preached, revival came, he was led to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he was caught away in the Spirit. But God, then some of us have a ministry like Stephen. We preach and we're stoned to death. God, no matter the lot, no matter what happens, help us to trust your plan. God, thank you that your promises are more real than this life. Thank you, God, that your word is more trustworthy than our own senses. Thank you, God, that we can trust you in this sinful, evil world. God, help us, Lord, to trust no matter the trial. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.